What's up, good people in podcast land? Welcome to Convene. I'm your host, Chris Penrose. Convene is a conversation series with a narrative arc. Since 2017, we have brought the creative community in Toronto together to dive into topics ranging from creative direction and visual storytelling to contracts, pricing your work, and space to create. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the audio from those conversations. On today's episode, we are sharing from Convene, B-side of the music business. This was a full day of workshops, performances, and panels taking place inside of Free Space in Toronto. Today's talk was supported by Factor Canada and was about growing in the industry through labels and management. I hosted this intimate conversation that featured Gavin Shepard of Public Records and Quiet Is Kept, also known as a co-founder of Remix Project, Tao Ming Lao of Blue Crane Agency, and Ivan Evidente, A&R at Universal Music Canada. Just a heads up, when people get passionate about sharing knowledge, sometimes they throw some explicit language in there. So there's some of that in this episode. Enjoy. Okay, so I, I want to make use of our time. I'm not a big fan of bios, so I try to like hide the bio in the first question. Um, so I'm going to start right away with Ivan Evidente. Um, can you just tell us about what you do at Universal, your history there, um, and the roles you've played over the years? Um, so my current title, I guess, is Director of A&R at Universal. Um, I've been there for uh, 20 years. <laughs> I just celebrated 20 years, if you can believe it. Wow. Do you know the day? What day? Yeah, yeah, I got a chip. I think I got a pen or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I just celebrated 20 years. But... Um, so the different roles that I've, I've worked, uh, I mean, I've been in A&R now for the last six years, but prior to that, I spent uh, maybe th- 13, 14 years working in marketing. So I, I essentially, I, I ran the urban department, so I oversaw all the marketing for all of the urban roster under the universal umbrella. So um, in terms of different roles I've played, I, my very first um, role at the label was um, heading up the street team. So I used to be the guy that used to put up all the fly, like posters on the streets and hand out um, promo items at all the parties and stuff, which to this day is, I think is the core of what it's allowed me to sort of stay in the business this time because I always kind of wanted to keep my uh, you know, close uh, relationships with the actual culture, what that's happening in, in the streets and so forth. But um, yeah, like You were always at the radio stations, always at the events, always absolutely. at the parties. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was my first gig there. It was just really like a street team rep. And then later after that, it sort of moved on to just overseeing the, all of the marketing for it. And then I, I had a stint in as a marketing manager as well. So marketing the actual records outside of just street promotions. And then lifestyle marketing. I've, everything that I could possibly sort of get involved with is I, I, I tried to do. And, and then it's naturally just kind of led me to A&R, which is where I'm at now. Amazing. And we want to try and dig in some of those experiences and the questions that we have here. Um, Tao, can you talk about Blue Crane, what it's about, what you do, and what led to founding Blue Crane? Yeah, definitely. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Tao. I run a music booking agency called Blue Crane Agency. Um, We prioritize female artists, POCs, and queer and trans artists. Um, I fall into all those three worlds, so those are the artists that I'm most passionate about repping. Um, I booked DJ Indian from Tribe Called Red. I booked Zaki Ibrahim, um, Bambi, a local Toronto Jamaican DJ, um, Cali Technus in Montreal, 
uh, Lisa, who is performing here at, I think, 5.45 or 6 o'clock today. Aiming for 5.45. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we want to 5.30, but soon. you know. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be here soon. Um, so you'll get to catch her. Um, Bianca in the crowd is part of Blue Crane as well. Um, she does all the design work. Um, and basically, I book shows and tours for a living. That's what I do every day. Um, I fall in love with artist sets, and um, I try to rep them. And when I do, that's what I do. I sell shows every day of my life. <laughs> um, before this, I was um, at Billions, a Chicago booking agency. Um, we booked Wu-Tang. Um, I brought No Name to A&R there. Uh, Anybody that's booked Wu-Tang, definitely, <laughs> like, you have been through the gauntlet. It's, uh, yeah, it's a really complicated project. It's uh, not easy at all um, because they have booking agents for every individual person and then as, as a group as well. But um, we had Ibeyi. Um, I handled Charlotte Day Wilson's touring, Shad's touring, and a whole bunch of um, other Canadian and U.S. acts as well. Um, before that, I was at, uh, when I first moved to Toronto for business school, actually, um, I worked for Universal Music Canada. That's how I met Ivan um, when I first moved here in 2014, 2015. Um, and I worked under the legal and business affairs department. So I looked at a lot of recording deals. I worked on a big legal project that summarized about 300 of Universal's licensed P&D and artist. Um, P&D is? Uh, pressing, oh, it's been pressing and distribution. Okay. It's been so many years um, from label work. And then basically I started my career um, in 2012 um, for Carly Rae Jepsen's label in Vancouver where I'm born and raised. Amazing. <laughs> um, Gavin, you know, we all know you in the city as a co-founder of the Remix Project and community radio heads know you from Soundcheck. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely over 30. Um, the... Other side, though, is public sure. records, quiet. Can you talk about what about your journey led you to um, go from thinking about a label to, to doing it and also <laughs> the, um, the founding of Quiet Agency and how those two interact? Sure. So I think, um, I guess for me, my journey career has largely been about how do I contribute and how do I fit in? Um, and so that's kind of where it began, uh, selling mixtapes and then clothing line, and then from there moving into community programs. And from the community programs, we're always focused around music and getting on uh, for ourselves initially, because we were like 18, 19, 20 when we started it for our immediate group of friends. And then it became like our, their cousins and then their cousins' friends, and then it spread out and it became a citywide movement. And then in the last couple of years, um, it made the transition. It, Remix is a youth-led initiative. I'm no longer a youth. Um, and so kind of like, you know, took a step back. We've got an incredible team that's running it. I'm still involved on a, on a board member level, but not doing the day-to-day. -day. And so my day-to-day -day now is comprised of Quiet is Kept, which is a management company and agency, which focuses around managing producers and songwriters as well as uh, recording artists, and then doing some agency work for different corporations that are looking to enter into the Toronto marketplace and how do you do that authentically. Um, as well as working with a couple artists. And then on the label side, wanted to try to address the gap between emerging artists and major label artists by creating a space that is focused on doing singles and EPs and not necessarily long-form projects or multi-project deals, although there are, there's a different realities, which we'll get into. Um, but it really is focused around that space of like, 
after discovery where folks have already got to a certain space and then being able to do either do two singles or an EP to help kickstart that career to the next level. Because as we all know in this room, the city is overflowing with talent. There's a lot of like really bright, brilliant people, but there's not a lot of capital um, or access to still certain distribution points or whatever. So it was public records is set up as a way to kind of be a bridge in those spaces and then allow people to go off and do their own thing. Incredible. And to, to take that step and see a gap in the infrastructure in the city and to, to put a business in place to do that is amazing. Um, I want to ask a question that's open to all three of you, but I think maybe, Gav, if you could start, is what is the actual business of a label? So I think a lot of times people will say, you know, I have my own record label, or I want to start a label, um, or I know someone has the label, but what is the business of a label, and what are the type, different types of income streams that are available in that business? So, I mean, to sell records, you know, absolutely, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten priorities are to sell records. Um, the only way that the label makes money is if they're selling records or the artist is making money depending on what kind of deal you have. So obviously, we'll talk further throughout the day, but everything is negotiable. Um, I'm sure both panelists will agree that like, Every deal depends on what you're bringing to the table as well and what you can negotiate out of it. And then once you have something, once you've negotiated that, whether it's strictly record sales or if it's record sales and a piece of this and a piece of that, whatever it is, the label only makes money when the artist starts to make money. So at the end of the day, the job of the record label is to, to make the artist successful. And in terms of revenue streams, again, it depends on the deal that you sign. So um, obviously it's through selling records uh, or streaming records or what have you also physical units. Sometimes labels get involved in other aspects of an artist's career, but again, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all formula. So there are moments where artists are profit, sorry, labels are profiting from touring. There's labels that are profiting from merch because they've entered into a merch or relationship, or there's a publishing relationship. But either way, it's a relationship where an artist is getting something out of it, and then you're doing a kind of profit split as you move forward. And it's up to you to negotiate kind of those splits and what makes sense for the label and what makes sense for the artist. Because at the end of the day, what I've been saying to folks and my hard lessons, of course, is I've been on the art creation side for forever and only recently moved into the other side, which is a very different ball game and a very different reality to navigate. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's, we got to recoup. Yeah, and that's why I asked that question as well, because I think that you see the art, you see the creativity, you hear the music, you see the performance, but you know, especially in an age where you know, stream, there is streaming, there's less buying of the physical um, record itself, you know, the understanding what the business is is so important. Absolutely, and we know that the streaming market, as much as it's exciting and you can leverage it into touring and other spaces that are gonna bring you actual revenue, the streams themselves are not making much money. So folks are looking for like $100,000 record deals, but streaming is a million streams is like 5,000 bucks. So you really have to have an honest conversation with yourself like, am I going, if I'm asking for this much money, am I confident that we're going to get to this space? Otherwise, like, you've got to take the glasses off, put them on someone else, be like, look at yourself for a moment and be like, okay, does this make sense? What am I asking for? Because maybe what you need is not the 100000 maybe it's this, and this is actually much more realistic. So I think it's about figuring out what you need and then asking for what you need to get to that next space before putting yourself into too much debt or into asking for unreasonable realities. Yeah, that's, that's staggering because you look at it like 
that hundred thousand deal means twenty million streams, like to to recover. And a hundred thousand is yeah. nothing if you're talking about like marketing and tour yeah. support and whatever. Like that's. Ivan, looking at the perspective of a major and, and you having been in so many dimensions of it, what would you describe as today? The what is the business of a major? How is that entity making money? Well, I think. Gavin definitely nailed it. At the end of the day, it is it is record sales, right? Ultimately, you know. Um, but you know, touching on what Gav was talking about, it really is, you know, outside of it just being a relation, it really is a partnership ultimately between the label and and the artist, right? So, um, you know, the main function, I guess you'd say, or at least sort of the main vision of a label, they always say it's, you know, we're going to discover, sign, develop, and break artists globally. So, um, so that's kind of sort of the main broad thing of a, of a label, but as you start to get in the label, you realize all the different departments that kind of take part in, in making these things happen, right? So there's definitely, a um, ultimately the end goal is, yeah, we are, we, are, we are selling music, right? We are selling records. And, um, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, ultimately I think as the years have gone by, like we're, we're, we're constantly trying to figure out new ways of revenue, but I think also Gavin stated it properly, like, Again, like when we talk about ancillary rights and everything like that with the merch, the touring, like we do do deals like that where we are literally making money off of that as well. So, and merch is a big thing as well, right? So, you know, we, we do a lot of those, depending on the type of deal we do, but a lot of them, again, we can customize it to however we feel the artist wants it as well. I just want to say quickly, like you're doing, if you're doing, if the label's profiting off the merch, it's because they put money up for the merch as well. Yeah. And if that's not the case, then you have a terrible deal. But like, there's reasons and rationales. Like there's there's the big like, oh, there's a 360 deal. It's super scary. Those are evil. They are evil if it's done in the wrong way. If it's done in the right way, it can be done right. But there's also, again, everything is negotiable and figuring out which parts are for you and which parts you walk away from. I don't mean to jump. Yeah, no, for sure. We're, we're going to dive into that tonight. Um, but that, that element of like, you know, if are you going to do the merch yourself? Do you have a way to sell it? If not, what's, what's owning 100% of nothing? Um, versus, okay, you get 20% of the merch sales that you wouldn't have been able to, to move. That's, that's, you're in the positive off of that. Um, Tao, I wonder if you could jump in on your thoughts on this as well. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I left the label world a few years ago, but um, certainly the 360 deals that um, we're talking about, I don't know if everyone's familiar with um, that term. Is everyone familiar with what a 360 deal is? We've all heard it, but I would say let's just assume that we don't know. Yeah, what, for sure. Um, so traditionally, obviously, as Gavin and Ivan said, um, you know, record labels are there to distribute music. Um, they're there to put out music, whether it's physically or digitally. Um, that's their role. Um, because it is harder um, to make money off, um, you know, record sales and streaming this era, this decade, this this time in 2019, um, record labels cannot survive uh, without having a share or, or working other aspects of your career. So like nowadays, um, there, there is a reason for the 360 deal. Obviously a lot of labels would just sink if, if they didn't take a cut of your touring, if they didn't work your merch and take a cut of that, if they didn't work your publishing and take a cut of that. So um, it is a partnership. You have to decide what menu of options you want and you like and you need help on, you know? Um, certain artists are really good in some areas. Um, like merch, you know, I, I work some artists on the road who 
who, who make um, a ton of money just from selling t-shirts and, and posters and things like that. They, they have an eye for design. They have designers on their team. They're very curatorial with their art. Um, and that's a big stream for them. But you know, other aspects like publishing, if you're not great with copyrights or, or dealing with you know, your songwriting royalties and you have to be really organized to deal with royalties and stuff like that, it helps to have a partner on your team to deal with that stuff. So now I find the labels that I work with in connection with promoting a tour, um, because obviously my job as a booking agent now, um, I work on album cycles, I work on EP cycles, you know, I, I work on the release of a product and putting that artist out on the road, whether it's for a three-day tour or a 20-day tour, um, it's always in connection to the release of the music, to, to the release of a music video, to the release of an EP. So I have to work very closely with labels, and the structure I see for labels now is that a label can kind of be whatever you want it to be these days. Um, a lot of labels have like in-house um, publicity services, for example. Like that's like a really common trend I've noticed is that um, people who have plugs in with like Fader and Vice and, um, you know, um, just all the major sort of like uh, publications and outlets. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, um, a lot of the them are like uh, in-house employees. They work 48 hours, a w I mean, no publicist works 40 hours a week. Publicists work every day of their life. Um, but generally, they're staffed employees at a label. And they'll just basically work with publications trying to get those artists who are putting out product, um, getting premieres, video, you know, music video premieres or features in these bigger outlets. Um, other labels um, have full-on merch divisions. Other labels... Um, and we're talking about, like, the indie space, too, but also on the major label space, too. Um, you know... Uh, indie labels, they can have full-on publishing arms. Um, every label offers, I find, something different these days. So check what label you're interested in, listen to the acts and the artists that you're into, and see what labels they're attached to and who's repped by them. And, and you know, if there's... Um, you know, certain labels that, that just focus more on certain products that say you're into merch and this label is just so spot on on their curatorial and design work, that might be a label that, you know, you'd be interested in seeking. So I find labels are, are flex these days. They're, they're, they're really um, amorphous sort of um, creative communities and outputs and, and they have different formats and structures to each one, so... Yeah, and I, I love breaking down that, that it's, it is about selling records, but it also is about all these other attached services and supports that are related to ultimately making an a artist successful so that there is a percentage to share in. Otherwise, you know, what, what are you sharing in? Um, and the last question I have about labels before we talk a little bit about management is... What would you say, looking at the landscape in Toronto, if you know you were maybe if you like from the perspective you're a bank, you're an investor, and you're looking at the landscape and saying, what kind of labels does the city need, and what kind of labels is there a business opportunity for in Toronto right now? What kind of label would you yourself want to put money into to um, meet that gap that's there, but also that business opportunity that's there? Well, at least from me uh, on the major label perspective, like there are literally times where I'll have artists coming up to me to be sort of telling me that they want to get signed and, and where they're at at their career. And sometimes I'll literally just tell them that like maybe at the level where they're at in their career, it's 
don't sign with us right now. Like, not because I don't like your music, but you're probably just what you need. You can almost get away with doing that on your own at this point. You know what I mean? And I always tell artists at the same time, it's not, it's not hard to get signed to a label. The hard part's actually giving, having people, once you are signed, to give a shit about it once you're at the label, right? Because there's just so much. That's just the reality of it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I, I usually tell that to a lot of artists too. But I mean, if something is absolutely undeniable, then of course, you know what I mean? We'll get into it and, and really dissect it and, and, and develop it. But again, there are, you know, and it's case by case, I guess, you know, like I know with Gav, to Gavin's point, with, with his label, it's set up in that way that there are certain things that may be not necessarily ready for the major label treatment, but we look at Gav, sort of incubates it, develops it, and then I could be like, okay, you know, after you've done two, three singles with them, it's like, let me upstream that from here. And we'll take it from here, but we obviously work out deals with your label, you know. So, kind of like relay that from one level to another. Well, take—I mean, someone's got to take it from zero to sixty, and then yeah. someone can take it from sixty to hundred, you know. And because so, we're all on a journey, like everyone's got a different starting space, and folks are, are realizing it's like, okay, well, where's the right starting line for you? So, are you both saying that it, you would put money into or invest in? You know, smart business that is looking at the zero to sixty space, like looking at um, developing artists to the point that they are more ready for that deal. That I mean, that's the only that's the only type of deal that makes sense because you're not going to give someone like millions of dollars to go sign an established act at this point in this territory. You know, it just doesn't financially make sense. I I think that the there's obviously a massive gap and lack of uh, infrastructure when it comes to urban music, um, rap, R&B, reggae music, soul, et cetera. Um, and there's a lot of challenges in terms of like getting those types of labels off the ground, but I do think that the majors are looking to invest in more of them, but what they're looking for are folks that, everyone's, everyone's an A&R, everyone's got taste, Nobody gives a fuck. Like everyone just wants to know, can you fill out Excel sheets and like make sure that this is done on time and that's done on time? And then we care if you have taste. But like running a label is not fun. It's a shitty job. It's just fun in certain moments, right? But most of it is like literally Excel sheets, legal documents, arguing over stuff, trying to figure out like somebody, how someone feels that day to get to the place where you're trying to get to, right? Well, and navigate yeah, like knowing that. where the royalties so, are, collecting them, knowing how to that, pay the know, royalties out to the right people. Absolutely. So it's, uh, anyways, I, I, I'm, I'm really interested is absolutely in the business. And I think what the, the gap is, is in folks that are just executing, like responding to emails right away, filling out pl- and having plans. Like most of the reason why I feel like a lot of things we do, like why I'll get an opportunity here and there is because we've created these plans that show the step-by-step process. So someone can look at it and go, yes, I will invest in that, as opposed to me selling an idea or a vision. You know, Because we can get excited in five minutes about something, but then we're going to go away and we're going to, oh, was that as cool as I thought it was the next day? I'm not sure. I think it was. But when there's a plan and there's a roadmap, like it's as simple as that. Writing stuff down is so incredibly important because no one does it. You know, I, I'm sure both folks here can speak to how many times folks have come to them with a beautiful vision, and then you've asked them to say, okay, we'll put it to paper and come back, and it just never happens. Like, I'm comfortable giving out my phone number because 90% of the people will never call me. Right. You and, know, and that's yeah. so crazy, but it's the reality of it, you know? And just to touch on that, just the planning part, it's so important. Like what I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, you can get signed to a label, but that doesn't necessarily mean 
that you're going to be a priority on that label. And take it from me as I deal with our marketing department half the time, with, and I can only speak specifically with Universal just because of the volume of, of, of releases we have. If, if you know, a lot of the times they're dealing on, at least on a domestic, or, um, you know, with domestic artists, like if your management or your team is not communicating with our marketing team in terms of what the plan is, what the strategy is, working together, like as a day to day, forget about it. Like it's like next, you know what I mean? Like, so that again, that whole idea of like, you know, having a real plan together is super important. I wondered what, where would you put your money? Um, but you might have some things to say to that, but also where would you put your money in terms of the type of business on the label side that you think the city needs? Um, I would say two things. First is invest in a label with uh, good people and good community. Um, I think that a label to me these days is really about community. It's really who is who's running that label and who are the people running with that label. And if, if you can kind of see good, like, artistic, curatorial, sort of, like, create, like just creative designs behind that label, sort of, like, looking at... I, I'm just, like, a design person, too, and that's why I love, like, Bianca's work, who, <laughs> like, works at Blue Crane. But it, I think we're just such in a visual culture now that in terms of how you wrap your label, how you present it to the world, how you present the people in your studio late at night, the people who you present, you know, um, for label showcases at festivals across the country... Those aesthetics matter, and I think the thought put in behind those aesthetics and the thought put behind those communities is really like what a label is to me. Um, and 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 so much amazing music and art can come out from the right communities. So like me as a banker and investor, like I'd invest in just kids or people who have. I mean, I'm maybe a bit contrary to, to what we were talking about before, but like who have good ideas and obviously like there's just so much administration work behind a label in terms of royalty collection and, and publishing and all, all these sorts of, you know, rights um, issues and things like that. But if the label can do that, I mean, you can find people who can administer that as a business, I find. You can find good administrators out there. But but what I think is a good business to invest in is is like a, a community that seems like they can work well together, um, who can sign maybe like two or three, you know, acts who aren't there yet, but th they're saying something interesting in Toronto. They're saying something interesting in Canada or what, whatever market you're working in. And you've got a, like a really nice creative community, not just of musicians, but of, of music video directors, of designers, of, of, of people like that. So I, if, for me, it's about like seeing sort of what output is coming out on, on that creative edge. Um, because that can lead to things that aren't translatable till you, till you hear the music and you see the music videos and you see sort of the output. And then I guess the second part is... Um, I forget the second part. I was, I was going to top off your statement somehow, but I think I forgot. Well, it, it, on the note of community, it's interesting because the marketing conversation earlier, one of the gems that came out of our audience question was around that difference between community and audience. And saying, like, are you trying to get your music in front of a community or are you trying to get your music in front of an audience? Are you trying to build up your brand through and in a community? And even knowing that through whatever art you're doing, you're, you're kind of like protecting or exposing a community, right? So how are you handling that and how are you thinking of that? And, and that really being the base to grow with. And I, I, I feel like there's that parallel between talking about that, the, whether it's management of an artist 
from that lens or the label, um, working with an artist that having that perspective that we're, this, is, this artist is a part of a community, from a community, building in a community and, and having that foundation. I think every label wants to see that you're from a community or from a space at this point. They don't want to see you being a standalone island. I know in America, especially with rap music, they're like, all right, so where's the click? And I'm like, seriously? Like, this is what you guys care about? You care about this visually? Like, but they do, you know, because they're Americans. And so it's like, all right, we got to understand that and then move accordingly in certain spaces as well. How do you represent a community? Because at the end of the day, people are going to check back home and be like, all right, cool, shit sounds popping. I like this. Like, let me go call my man in Toronto or my homie in Toronto and see what she thinks about it. Oh, you never heard of this person? Oh, this person's whatever? Then pass, you know? And that's just the way of the world. People go by who they, they have trust, they ask relation, they go based off relationships, and they fact check, right? So I think coming from a community is really important. Doesn't mean a geographical community all the time. It could mean a community of culture, but it does mean like standing in front of and next to um, a lot of, like, or I think like something solid and something concrete that can also help lend identity. And then identity can, of course, surpass that or become even greater than that that space as it should, but there's an entry point, you know? People need an entry point to get in first, so. Amazing, did it come back to you? Because I have another question. No, not yet, okay, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's gonna come like yeah, eight o'clock tonight. <laughs> um, so I do wanna open up for a couple of questions to the audience. Um, are there any questions at the moment? Because I do have another question. Um, anybody, yeah? Um, we have the mic over here. So there's a question here and a question here. Thanks. Hey, guys. Um, so, you know how, Gav, you were saying that, like, someone could take you from zero to 60 and then uh, 60 to 80 or 100? Like, how much do you feel, like, technology and, like, our, like, kind of control over, like, digital creativity can, like, how much of that do you think an artist can, like, independently leverage to bring them from zero to something between the 60 or whatever? I think you could do it absolutely 100% on your own, that zero to 60 part, if those are your, if your skill sets encompass that. But there's a lot of artists who are phenomenal artists, but are not the folks that are gonna be able to then also get their brand together and the grants together and certain things to get to that space. So I think you just have to be honest with yourself. I think the most important, one of the most important lessons I've learned around the idea of leadership and as an artist, you're a leader, is that you have to be honest with yourself and figure out where you're weak before you build a team, right? So being honest with yourself saying, okay, I'm weak here, I'm weak there, I'm gonna bring these people in, phenomenal, and I'm gonna build my career to get to that space. Sometimes it's a label, sometimes it's a publicist, sometimes it's a manager, sometimes it's different to Ivan's point earlier, like it might be too early for a label, but it's almost at that point. A label's gonna stifle it and kill it. You know, it's not actually gonna be a good thing to be signed yet. So I think you have to be like, know where you're at in that process and then you know, take, take, the, take the necessary steps. But in terms of the internet and all that, of course, you have 100% the ability to do zero to 60. And of course there's grants and there's different ways to access a bit of money. But at the end of the day, to make a, a big splash, it is very difficult without capital. And so there are folks that are gonna tell you like, you know, the SoundClouds of the world are gonna be like, you can do it, just put it on SoundCloud. But like, so did 7 million other people. How did we yeah, get like there? The, the right? numbers are phenomenal. Like how much content per second is uploaded, is uploaded to SoundCloud, uploaded to Instagram, uploaded to and YouTube. And I, I say this all the time, like Get people will say, oh, Chance the Rapper, independent, look what he did, blah, blah, blah. His manager's a multimillionaire. 
The man has $500 million, like millions and millions of dollars, right? So it's totally unfair to place that expectation on yourself and to use that as a measuring stick Again, you know that you're measuring yourself against. And I think that it's about figuring out, okay, again, that's the piece I need. That's the piece I need, and then I'll get to that place. Maybe it's an indie label, maybe it's a manager, maybe whatever it is, but figuring out what are the actual tools that I need and just ignoring everything else, which might not make you popular at the moment, but it's what you have to do to get to where you're going. You know? Tao, you, you do a lot of work with people in that zero to 60 space. What are your thoughts on the question around how much the digital means of production being so accessible um, to people compared to previous ages of the music industry uh, means that an artist can take themselves pretty close to 60 um, without a label, without some, you know, getting into debt in a relationship where they have to recoup. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it's a really free space right now. Um, you know, I currently am not working in label stuff right now, but from the artists that I work with, um, they all kind of control their own stuff. Um, you know, I had one act who signed a recent label deal a few months ago, and I mean, she just needed help. She's like, like I work in the live music space, right? So I. All I need is a, so, a show to sell that I 100% believe in and that I think is beautiful. And I can do that every day of my life. But, um, you know, I need also her music to get out there on, on like a mass level. And, you know, she's not great with it. Um, and, and she would admit that too. So, like, you know, knowing your weakness, like what Gavin was talking about, um, if she can get label work, I can totally take her from like 60 to 80 or 60 to 90 so much easier if she had her like distribution in order to a level that I would like to see it at. So like, I mean, that's just knowing your weaknesses, your strengths and, and, and playing to that, right? Um, other acts I work with, um, they just, they're on their Spotify and Apple every day. You know, this girl, Kelly Technus in Montreal, um, she's just so spot on. On Her socials are really dialed in. Um, every show I book for her, there's always a recap in her stories the next day. There's always thank yous to like the right tags and the right promoters and all the co-pros that worked on the show. It's so dialed in and it's so easy to work with her. Not everybody um, can do that. Totally. And, but it's so necessary. Almost everybody can do that. Well, but like, <laughs> oh, yeah. but maybe maybe <laughs> not everybody will. Some are better. Yeah. It, it takes uh, a lot shocking of how it much. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, like she's just in bed, like just like, yeah. like recapping her show, like for like four or five hours. Like, like it takes so much work, and it's like, yeah. it's it's a lot. But it's like for her, digital is important. You know, for other acts, it it it, it might not as be. But then you have to have other areas that you can engage with your community, that you can engage with your audience. I find um, so so see what. So see what works. Is it your streaming audience? Is it your live music audience? Because there's, there's different types of audiences everywhere, right? So decide how you, what your forte is and how you engage with your fans. Mm -hmm. I would just I wanna... say for the lot of work thing very quickly, like this is your career and you can't do five to six hours a day. You're, you're joking. It's not your career. It's your hobby. So just don't waste anyone else's time. True. That's fine. Yeah. You know, it's all good. We should all have hobbies. I don't make music myself. I like to be creative in my spare time. I found another lane where I can contribute 
and where I can be involved in the culture that I love. But if you can't bring yourself to work on your art for four to five hours, let alone six hours a day, it's literally wasting everyone's time. It's your, it's your passion, it's your hobby, but let it be that then. Or you have to hire someone to do your socials if, yeah. if you're not going to do it. Yeah, I don't mean socials totally. per se, but I just mean investing in your craft. But totally. that's a good point and good clarification for sure. I just mean investing in your craft in one shape, form, or another. It's just, it does, that's why at Remix we say, okay, cool. We'll have, we're open 35 hours a week. You can make your schedule outside of your one class or one thing, but you have to commit 10 hours a week minimum. If you can't do that, what are we doing here really? Like you think your talent deserves to be signed? You're crazy. There's 7 million people that are talented as hell. There's so many people that deserve to be signed. You know, so it's just like, what's the difference then? What's the differentiating factor besides talent? Because there's so much talent. Yeah, you know? when you're on the highest level, like talent becomes invisible. And it's now about work ethic. I mean, I wanted to ask you about that question um, to kind of counter to, to it where the danger of too much creative freedom or too much creative individuality without the right inputs. And like I think of, there was a, that, that podcast, um, Oh, why am I forgetting the name with Nori? They're all drunk, yeah, drink champs. They're talking to Dead Prez. And I couldn't believe that the song Hip Hop, which is like, if you know one song by Dead Prez, you know hip hop. If you don't know Dead Prez, you still know hip hop. That, that's a song that they didn't want to do. Like the story behind that was the, they turn in the album and they're like, there's no single. And the um, stick man was just like, all right, I'm just going to mess around in the studio, create this song that sounds like Florida. And so the whole intent was to make it sound like listening to music out of people's rattling cars driving by. And, um, that, you know, then the, the blast by quality. There's so many examples where if somebody was just creating on their own, like they don't have enough creative diversity, they don't have enough quality control, they don't have enough um, people kind of checking just perspective, them. I feel like. Yeah, and so you're I wonder... You're so close to anything, you know? When your nose is that close, you can't zoom out. And well, sometimes it, you don't realize yeah, and what in it is. an age where you can do everything by yourself, what do you, I mean, what's your experience in terms of seeing the danger of people who are doing everything themselves and not necessarily letting um, the team Yeah, in? it's definitely dangerous. I mean, with every artist that I've sort of had to work with, I usually try, again, to my point about it being a partnership from the very beginning. So even from the vision where we're starting, you know, with an artist, usually we like to have those conversations of where, like, everything from, like, what's the six month plan look like, everything like from be top, from beginning to end. So um, like I said, with any artist that I w I'm with, I'm, I'm usually in the studio with those artists. I'm going over music with them. I I've been like literally the whole step of the way, right? So it's also just building that trust with the artist at the same time, you know? And it's kind of, kind of like in order for me to, to be able to sort of turn on the machine, let's just say at the label, let's call it like to my point earlier where it's like getting the machine to actually care. It's like I have to be 100% along with the artist understanding the vision so that way it's kind of like help me help you, right? So um, I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, but if you're saying do I find that it's like, like I, I try not to give complete like, I mean it's okay if somebody has, you know, their vision of what their art's supposed to be, but at the same time, I think if you're going to be already in a situation where you're working with us, there has to be a little bit of an understanding of like, you know, to be able to listen to other people's feedback and so yeah, forth. Yeah, I think that does do answer we gotta do. that's the, a really specific example at how you approach that at the label, but I think that's a principle that's applicable to someone that's just working with other producers yeah. who's just been producing themselves or someone who's working with management or even just in terms of the creative circle you're a part of, like having that plan, getting that feedback and knowing that it's if you want to 
do this thing. It can't just be you alone and alone you. Right. Um, I Again, it's an industry and a business, right? So it's like to try to lift an entire business on your back is crazy. No, like who does that? Why? Yeah. You know, like you're building a business, employ the right people so we can get there. It doesn't matter if it's a toilet paper company or a music industry. Like, why are you trying to do everything by yourself? That's crazy. Yeah. You know, bounce ideas off of. Ultimately, you're the leader. You're the, you are the last voice. Like, I struggle sometimes personally. I give too much creative control, I feel like, to the point where my voice gets lost completely. And that is it's an interesting struggle. Cause like part of me is like, no, that's what it should be. It's the artist. But then part of it's like, well, then why have I been doing this for 20 years if I don't have any experience to give, right, you know? Right. Or like, if I truly believe this is the wrong move, I need to be able to express that and let's, let's have a dialogue and we can go into it eyes wide open instead of just blindly whatever. But I think that no matter what we do, we're stronger as a whole. So collaboration, bouncing things off of each other, sharpening steel, sharpen steel, let's get to the point and then let's be world-class because if we're competing for Toronto, we're, we've already lost. So we should be competing to be world-class. Let's bump into other professionals, other creatives in our city. Let's sharpen each other and get to that place where we're competing for world-class titles. We're not talking about just trying to get, get to number seven in Toronto, you know, yeah, the seventh slot. Exactly. Like, I think that's a good point. Um, I know I remember Socrates talking about when he first started his career as like a 90s hip-hop artist that you know, has done some amazing things. And he said he wasn't looking at other people. He was like, he saw Chi Ali, you know, and he, look him up if you don't know him, but like he was like a teenage rapper and he's like, I could rap better than Chi Ali. Like, I, you know, if, and if everyone's listening to Chi Ali, like I want to be better than him, not better than the, the next person next to me in my own city. Um, we had a question at the front here. Um, and then if there's one more on this um, for this panel, then we're going to wrap this part up. But I do want to say we didn't talk a lot about management, but if you are here looking to talk about management. All three of our panelists here do have a lot of awareness, experience, and interaction with that. And so in your one-on-one, -on -one, maybe that's the, where, where you can get those specific things that you're looking for. So, um. so oh, okay, all right, well. <laughs> um, so core to uh, what A&R and management is, at least from what I've studied, is artist development. Um, that seems like a thing that I've always, I've, I've been struggling to figure out the core principles of, because that's what I want to get into, that's the career path I chose. Um, but it seems very nuanced, and I'm not exactly sure, you know, what are some just key things. It could be broad, could be macro, but it's just some macro points or macro principles um, to keep in mind when you're trying to develop the artist, which is really that zero to 60 phase. Yeah, I love that question. If we could do it for each of you, if you can just, what are three principles that you say are the priorities for our artist development and how you think of it? Tao, you want to start? Yeah. Or sure. more? Um, yeah, I can start because I've worked at labels and management agencies and touring agencies. Um, A&R is different in each um, music business. Um, from a touring perspective, um, when I worked at Billings, the Chicago agency, we would have like basically a slack where we would like throw music videos on like one act that we think is like popping in Chicago, but very like Slap is like a co-working texting app. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, 
It's basically like organized Facebook Messenger for big corporations and businesses. It's really efficient and it's awesome. But basically, to have a conversation, an A&R conversation, we would have like basically a big Slack conversation about this artist. Um, you know, if two reps from our office could go to their show, you know, we were like, oh, they have a show May 27th, who's going? You know, we'd get comps, we'd see it, we'd come back, feedback, the whole company would know about it. Um, the whole company would talk and bounce ideas of like, is this act, um, would they be valuable? Would they be profitable on the road? What, can we sell that show? Um, what's beautiful about the show? What, what could be lacking? What could they need help with? Um, so all that gets put into like an intercompany conversation. From a touring agency, that's what A&R is. It's, it's very different from, I think, a label and management agency. Um, but it's talent scouting. That's what it is. Um, and mostly, you know, my business, uh, most of the A&R is done when I go to shows, like three times a week. So it's exhausting. Um, you know, I'm at bars and, and I mean, most of my business deals happen at the bar at like one in the morning, you know? So it's like, yeah, I have to be out all the time. I have to be sort of seeing people's live shows, um, seeing what, you know, in connection to the recorded music, in connection to their digital strategy, in connection to their socials and how they manage that. But it all kind of funnels together into the live show. Um, I'm sure you guys can speak on A&R on the label side more. Yeah, so well, so back to the question of, like, what are your main principles on artist development? So for me, like, I, re I hear that and say, like, seeing an artist perform live, giving feedback to it, experiencing them in acoustic setting, like, and, and, and giving them as much as possible those opportunities to grow in that space. Like, why we have the acoustic performances today, you know, is something Gavin said to me years ago. You don't know an artist if you haven't heard them acoustically. Like, you know, and so... Um, that that would be one principle. If you two want to add on to other principles yeah. in artistic develop, artist development, so I think the live performance is definitely, you know, a key thing for me to be able to see somebody perform live. But more importantly, like work ethic is the most important part for me. Like you know, I mean, you can obviously talent. There's a lot of talent, but to Gav's point earlier, I think you have to actually really, really, really have the right attitude. Work, work, work. Let's. That's the other thing that I think some people get mistaken. It's like, okay, great, guess what? I'm gonna get signed to the label. Like, that's it. All the heavy lifting, you know, is gonna be done by the label. Like, you're fucking poorly mistaken if you think that's what it is, right? So that's when the heavy lifting. That's begins. when actually the heavy lifting really begins, in my opinion. So I think work ethic is a is a very very like key thing for me personally, and seeing that that artist is gonna do whatever it takes to to, to succeed. You know what I mean? And be up all night, do what they gotta do. And communication, yeah. it's so key. Yeah. Like, in terms consistent of and consistent, clear. yeah, absolutely. I think for me, in terms of the artist development side, it, always, it does always start with the art, because that's what we're talking about, is the music and the art, whatever form of art. So it's drilling down into that, and then really, really, really drilling down into that and getting the most, just the most honest music from that person, you know, first, and creating a safe space around them to let them have that voice, right? So I think when, we're, when you're developing an artist, you're trying to help them find out who they are, right? And so that's a personal journey as much as it is a creative journey. And so a lot of it's just conversations with people, like how you feel in, where you at, what do you want to talk about, and then starting to pull those things out. And then after a while, once you start getting a few songs together, then you start to realize, okay, this is what it starts to feel like, and whatever, and bringing someone in that can help you communicate that visually now, you know? But 
I think that there's also two goals when you're developing an artist from a produ producer standpoint, because I'm assuming that's the space that you're coming from, is as a producer developing talent, um, is you can be looking to develop talent to put out music, and you can be looking to develop talent to sell music. And that sounds like the same thing, but it's not, because it could be you're selling songs to people, you're selling hooks to people, and I feel like a large part of the development as well is while people are finding themselves, they often emulate the people they respect the most and love the most, and so it's not shutting that down. It's like, all right, get that out of your system. Let's see if we can sell that record. You know, let's bring that to someone at SoCan and be like, who are you wor who's working on albums right now? Who should I get in front of? Who should I pass that to? And then continuing to let that person create. But I think what you're trying to do is create the safest possible environment where you're also able to challenge them. And then once you're able to build that space of trust and you're able to dive deeper and deeper into what their personal issues, ideas, philosophies are, then you're going to get the best music out of it, which is then going to allow you the right situation down the line. You know? That's beautifully said, like a, a really safe environment where you can also challenge. Like that, for me in a nutshell, it sounds like development. Um, I want to thank Gavin, Ivan, and Tao. If we can just show some love for them for this. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find out more about Convene at watervision.com or on Instagram. That's W-A-T-R Vision. Convene is founded and produced by myself, Chris Penrose, through Water Vision Creative. Production, editing, and sound design of this episode is all done by Martin Agnon. We are going to keep these conversations going, so we will connect again on the next episode.